This is part two of an interview I did with Earl Okin, the musician, singer, comedy genius, who has toured literally the world for the last, I don't know, decades. I didn't like to ask how many. Um, he's been on stage since he was three, so there's a fair amount. He did 18 years of Edinburgh Strait when he finished in the early 90s. So this man has a lot of stage experience, but in this part of the podcast, we talk more about songwriting, his time doing shows and singing Bossa Nova actually in Brazil. Earl has his own podcast where he plays once a month some of his own music and some eclectic stuff because he collects tens of thousands of records. So you'll hear some clips of uh, favourites of his where he really harks back to what works all the way back to musical where his father used to work. Enjoy. This is Marisha for Love Your Creativity. For the singer who is tone deaf, contemporary music is the thing. Because in a contemporary song, it's very hard to follow the melody line anyway. And if you don't, nobody's going to be very much the wiser, except the composer. And the chances are he won't notice either. Because... In a contemporary song, the more off-key you become, the more contemporary it's going to sound. <laughs> Nine out of ten people won't understand it all. And with the, the ring of the new belong in You'll never quite sure whether he understands it or whether he just stands it because he thinks he ought to understand it. In fact, only time will tell whether the composer has reached a realm of music far beyond our ordinary understanding or whether he's trying to put something over on us. <laughs> but in any case, I do hope that you will keep a completely open mind. <laughs> Especially Brussels, our family there, have been going there since the 50s. And uh, so I know Brussels at the back of my hand. This is David Lemkin who runs a comedy club there once about a year because he can't do it too often because it's, you know, only once a month. I, I get the gig there and I go down very well with it. It's very international. They're Americans and Canadians and God knows what. And my stuff goes down well with all of them because it's, it's not particularly Anglo-specific. I don't talk about footballers or what's on the radio or it's, it's not that sort of comedy it's about sex and gender politics whichever you want to call it it's, it's about music which i hate or love or whatever it's about food i mean it's just you know things that everybody knows about yeah, yeah. international subjects rather than yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. arsenal versus tottenham yes exactly yeah yeah <laughs> i'm with um, you on that yeah now we're talking about songwriting. Yes, we were. Yes, that was, yes, you were saying that because um, I, I was wondering if you had some kind of get up every day and spend no, no. songwriting. No, no. I'd say, look, every now and then something will inspire me to write a song. It could be that I hear something on the radio or listen to an old record and thinking I should write one in that genre. Because the first thing I need to do is to be in the mood and be 
think of a genre. And uh, the genre means I know what rhythm I'm going to use. It could be dum dum ba dum ba dum ba dum, or it could be, you know, whatever. It could be a bossa nova, whatever I'm in the mood to write. It could be a rat pack type, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what starts me off. Then it's a question of choosing chords. Now, again, in the within the genre, let me demonstrate. Here's a guitar. Here's a guitar. Um, <laughs> If you're writing pop songs, you tend to use simple chords, nothing more complicated than a ninth, so it's... Right, that's because they're simple chords. And what the Beatles did so cleverly, they played simple chords but in the wrong order. And so they got interesting songs out of that. If you're playing jazz, it's... choice of chords. And same thing for bossa nova. So it's something to do with what genre you're using as to which chords you use. And the same thing works on the piano. Yeah? Yeah. So it's you've got your chords, you've got your rhythm, now you've got your chords because the chords go with that particular sort of genre. Now you start going, da 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 dee dee da 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 and it's, most of it's just complete rubbish. <clears throat> and like I said, every now and then something will gleam out of you. Now, but what gets me going is somebody was, one of famous songwriter was once asked the old, old question, which comes first, the music or the words, with me, by the way, it's always music. <clears throat> but his answer was very good. He said, no, first comes the, f- the phone call. And what he meant by that is, if you've got a deadline, and if you're told that they, they want a blues number or a bossa nova or a whatever, hard rock with a, you know, with a bit of punk, <clears throat> it's the equivalent of having a blank piece of paper or a blank piece of paper and they're told which particular colours you're allowed to use. It just, it just gives, it makes it easier because there's, there's so much out there you could do by telling you you want something that sounds like Glenn Miller. Um, that sort of... Yes. Um, I heard the story the other day that, you know, a famous song called The Look of Love, written by Bert yes. Bacharach, yeah. was actually written because the guy who was making the film at the time for which he needed film had been using a random track while they shot the film just to get the mood right. And the track they'd been using was The Girl from Ipanema, which is classic bossa nova. And he said to Bert Bacharach, write me a song like Girl from Ipanema. Well, the song that he came up with wasn't a bossa nova at all. But it obviously got him in the right sort of area of music yes. that he wanted. And that probably helped stimulate his own creative juices. And it's the same with me. And I've been writing a musical recently. Yes, called? Uh, it's kind of, we think it's going to be called A Harlem Story. And it's sort of... Um, Sort of sequel to the Porgy and Bess story, mm-hmm. but doesn't use any of the original story whatsoever. The only connection with it are, are the two names, Porgy and Bess. And because our story takes place in the late forties, as opposed to Gershwin's um, sort of folk opera based on that subject, I'm thinking forties, <clears throat> just pre rock and roll, American late jazz late, not bebop exactly, but late swing. 
And then you fit in with it some non-jazz stuff because some of the story isn't jazzy and it's you know death scene. You you don't write a jazz song for that. You could write a, a sort of wailing blues, but he didn't seem so. But you know, it's got to be something that works within that period. Yeah. So I've written seventeen songs, and I wrote it pretty quickly because I had. She actually wrote the, the lady wrote the book. She actually wrote some lyrics, which didn't. I didn't want to use her lyrics because that puts you in a straitjacket musically, but I wanted to see what she was trying to say. So you know, if it's "I love you" is one thing; it's "Oh, I'm dying" it's something else. You know, it's you know what I mean. It's so, and uh, so I wrote these songs all very quickly, and I'm happy to say I'm happy with them. Right. But because I had somewhere to start, it sort of seemed to trigger things in my mind, which are a mixture of my own individual voice, whatever that is, plus what's there now, which is 30, 40 years of stored knowledge of musical genres and what they sound like and all the records I've got, and it all feeds in somewhere into the mush. And I know that, you know, Puccini had a few harmonic tricks he used to make people cry, and I know that Gershwin never wrote a song without that. And I know that Cole Porterton and, and Duke Ellington tended to write with those chords. All that stuff is somewhere in the back of your mind. And you use all of it, and it sort of comes out without you even really thinking. Yeah. And it, it's sort of, But you have to have your own voice as well to impose upon all of that. And, you know, the trouble is sometimes... Quite often, sadly, um, people who are great songwriters in their youth, because it, they've just discovered music and everything, and then they sort of go off the boil, and uh, I won't mention any names, and I'm sure you can think of fine songwriters who get past about 50, and then the songs they write after that are really completely forgettable. And then you get people like Giuseppe Verdi, who maybe some of his best stuff was written when he was over 70. Um, so you, there's no real rule about this. You, you can completely lose it or you yeah. can develop it. And I'm, I like to flatter myself. I, I'm still growing. Well, it seems to be. I mean, I, I got here today and you're organising a trip to LA. And oh, no, that's different. That's just work. No, but what I'm saying... Well, that, is, frankly, that isn't work. That's more of a... That's a holiday. But, yeah. I mean, you know... But the, you're the, still going the there with the intention of doing some shows. You're, you're constantly mm. moving forward, which I think is Well, I've got, I've got a rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. It's as simple as that. I, the other thing is, I live alone. Uh, what would I do if I didn't go out and perform? A, B, I, I love performing. It's it's the sort of great love of my life, that and music. So why wouldn't I do that? While I've got my health and vitality, as they say, and I don't feel any different now than I did when I was 30, to be quite honest. Um, I know I'm old, but I don't... <laughs> but I've got it's photos. It's just a number. I've got photos of myself when I had a neck, for instance. Yeah. I'm looking at myself there at 21 on the wall. Wow. That's in the other room. That piano's still there. And uh, it looks the same when I don't, sadly. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one, that. I, I was looking... Uh, I've been doing lots of um, acting in shorts recently, and I looked at myself, and 
you know, it is, you suddenly go, oh, I don't look 21 anymore, because camera, the camera is very kind of, yeah. how you look on theatre and stage is quite different to, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, the camera being yes, very yes, near, yes. and it is a bit of a, oh, is that what happened? And, <laughs> and uh, I well, guess I've got Well, you're 25 now, so yeah, yeah you, hey. <laughs> I know. So do you have, is there any advice you were ever given um, that really stayed with you? about either creating or picking yourself up is there anything that really any one or two pieces that really kind of stuck with you well one of them i've already mentioned is be yourself yes definitely be yourself don't try and be the second somebody else because you're never going to be as good as they were because they were them you know frank sinatra was influenced and he said so by bing crosby did he sound like him no he didn't Mm. um everybody has somebody that they were influenced by Benjamin Ogili, the great tenor. Everybody worshipped Caruso. Did she sound like Caruso? No, he didn't. Etc. Um, Etc. Et so you pick up things from from people, and and you. I mean, I use Louis Armstrong's phrasing because that's the way you sing jazz. Do I sound like Louis Armstrong? No, I certainly do not. <laughs> yeah. Do I sound like Peggy Lee, who's my favourite singer? Well, if you listen carefully to what I'm doing, you can actually hear the influence. But do I sound like Peggy Lee? No, of course I don't. I'm a bloke to begin with. Um, so, you know, listen, I mean, the, the nearest one that I actually do sound a bit like sometimes is Georges Roberto, who's still performing. Because if you're going to do Bossa Nova, he's the man. He's, they call him the Pope of Bossa Nova. Wow. That's the way you do Bossa Nova. And I'm not Brazilian, so I've got to try and get under the skin. And the phrasing is so subtle. <laughs> Quando o coração que está cansado de sofrer Encontrar um coração também cansado de sofrer É tempo de se pensar O amor pode de repente chegar Quando existe alguém que tem saudade de outro alguém I mean, you've actually done Bossa Nova in Brazil. Oh, yes. You've been hired to perform out there, which is pretty amazing for a, a Brit. I, I don't know why they invited me, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not Brazilian, you know, but I, I tend to... I'm born in Surrey, so I don't know what this has got to Brazil, but I do that. So I went out there and I played Boston. It's a bit like, I still cannot work out why they invited me, because it'd be like somebody getting somebody over from Tokyo to do Shakespeare. It doesn't make any sense to me at all, but uh, I did it. Although, actually, I saw an amazing production recently, uh, Greg Duran, um, who's um, artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, he'd done this joint... Um, it was about his Anjan. It was basically the samurai story. Which of course yeah, no, I, I'm not and, saying and you can't he, do it. No, he made it incredibly. He made an incredibly Shakespearean story because all the big stories are very human, a little bit like what you were saying earlier, aren't they? You, mm. you know, so a bossa nova is about. No, but that, what you're talking about is a, a, a foreign take on Shakespeare. That's different. I do authentic bossa nova. As if I were a Brazilian. Mm. I'm not doing, oh, this is the English bossa nova. I'm not doing that. Mm. I'm doing it. 
And I mean, I have I played the Brazilians, and they don't know it's me, and they think it's a Brazilian guy. Who's that? That's what I'm trying yeah, to do. Yeah, I'm trying to do it for real. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I listen to American singers, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Frank Sinatra, you name it, even Mel Torme, none of them have a clue how to sing bossa nova. And the reason is they think it's jazz with a sort of Latin beat. Well, Brazil isn't Latin. It's Brazilian. Latin is the other countries. It's Portuguese, not Spanish. It's just a completely different culture. And it's nothing to do with jazz. The Brazilians can sing jazz. They're very good at it. But the Americans can't sing because Americans, as you probably know, tend to be very insular and they think that they're the only cultural center of the world that everything else should do what they do. And when they come across a culture as rich as their own, they don't realize that Brazil doesn't need the USA. It's got an incredible... Yeah, it's got their own... Has. I mean, just to put it very simply, when you sing jazz, you tend to, to lay back on the beat and sing after the beat. You do. You sing before the beat when you sing bossa nova. You almost finish the phrase before the chords catch up with you. It's like you're just talking the words through, but with a tune. Does so, it get, yeah, so, like, you get... Um, I don't know. Um, uh, I'm the most famous one of all. Olha que coisa mais linda, mais cheia de graça. Ela menina que vem que passa. I haven't played the chord yet. Balanço caminho do mar. The chord comes after I finish singing. comes after I finish. Well, the Americans don't do that. They go, I don't know. Oh, insensitive. Well, it's wrong. Yeah. It just sounds like a dirge when you do it like that. <laughs> and That's good to know. I've never had a lesson of and over singing. It's just really before the beat. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Thank you. Uh, and any other... So apart from being yourself and knowing what you're doing... That's it. That's you you, you it. said it. <laughs> And it, I mean, it takes a while to know what you're doing, you know, yeah. like anything else, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'll never be, I know, you've also got to be honest with yourself. I will never be a great guitarist. I'm better than I used to be. Because you improve, you know, if you play long enough, you know, the old chord you learn and you're more fluent. But I'll never be able to work as a guitarist. I'm probably a slightly better pianist. I can at least do a piano solo. But I'll never be able to work as a pianist. I'm just not good enough. I, my chops aren't good enough, as they say. But it's certainly good enough to play and write songs and to accompany myself, which was what I started playing for in the first place. And it's probably because I'm lazy and I never took lessons and I play by ear. I'm, sh I'm absolutely sure that if you decided to pick your chops up, that given your decades of playing, that it wouldn't be such Yeah, I don't know, because you get into bad habits as well. You've got to unlearn stuff, but... It's it's good enough for what I need, and if I ever need a proper piano player, I'm, there are some around. Oh yeah, they're really. Um, and um, I hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> I love them all. Insanely <laughs> uh, um, jealous. Um, and I don't read the dots. I funny, I can write music, but I can't read it back. I've written a string quartet. I've written some big band arrangements. I can't read it back. Yeah, that's true, in fact. So I know that myself. Yeah. I'm just doing some Michael Tippett at the moment. Um, oh, bad luck. Sorry about that. Well, yeah, well I, I 
Goddess. It's a man, one of these British composers who seem to be congenitally incapable of writing a melody. Well, this is this is about this is this is a child of our time. So it's it's also very dark, and it's about his view on war, and See, it should be about music. See, well, it's tip it and Britain. Oh God, awful! But it's fantastic. I I, I the audition I had within the Royal Festival Hall, but it was with somebody else running it who I normally do the Royal Festival Hall gigs with. I literally had to sight read these this few bars, and, I, and it was it's so chromatic and so. You're like, where is this note ever coming in? I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. Have you, have you ever heard Anna Russell? No, never have. I'll play you a track of her later. Um, she was where was she really from? She sounds English, but I think she was Canadian. I don't know. And uh, she she's like the uh, operatic version of Victor Boer. Boer. Oh, and she's just right. wonderful. And she gives this lecture and she said, um, the singers who are tone deaf, <laughs> contemporary music is the thing because it doesn't matter how out of tune you become, nobody will notice, except for the composer. And the ch- chances are you won't notice either. Nice. And she sings this wonderful song she's invented in that style with ridiculous words. My heart is red from suffering. And he well, it goes sideways. <laughs> My heart hath... Dishpan hands and it's all genius. Anna it, Russell, she sounds oh, great. I'll, I'll, I know, I'll play you, I'll play you a track. Sounds like I'll play while you're, you know, cool, when we cool. finish recording. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll cool. play you some. Well, if you go to, I should say, um, cool, cool. anybody who's listening to this, I also have a podcast. Yes, no, I was going to talk to you about um, you. How do people listen to you? Get hold of you. So your well, podcast is well, it depends who they are. Oh, mm. I see what you mean. Yes, um, the um, once a month I decided to put up six of tracks of my 78s plus i put a track of my own at the end so that people know i do know something about music at least i'm not completely talking out the top of my bonds as a lot of critics do um, I, I think this is so true and i think it's really important actually i, I get quite um i get quite angry sometimes about critics who've who don't get their hands dirty and don't understand what it is no to I mean, what annoys me mostly is people who give programs on radio who talk about songwriting and then proceed to talk, talk about lyricists and don't talk about the song at all. No mention of chords, how you write tunes. It's all about the words because they they know words because they're journalists. They know nothing about music and the craft of, so they don't talk about it. That's not songwriting yeah, then. Yeah, no, it's really true. Say, say the great lyricists and that's fair enough, you know, but they don't. They, they, anyway, um, what's I going to say? Yes. Um, Your podcast. My podcast. So once... A month, I put six tracks, and I and I vary them, so you don't know what's coming next. It's the opposite of what radio programs are doing, which are coming narrower and narrower and narrower. Oh, yeah. We only do soul music done between May and June 1964. Oh, really? That's what we do. Um, mine is, you just don't know where it's going next, but there's usually opera, music hall, or comedy, mm-hmm. jazz, and American dance music, which isn't quite the same thing. And then in addition, there might be classical instrumental music. There might be Brazilian, French, Japanese, anything which I think is, one, wonderful, B, interesting, or C, so awful that people ought to hear it just because it's funny, you know. I just sent you some of my earlier work. (laughs) No, no, but I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Or things that went wrong. There's an outtake of... Uh, Bing Crosby I put on there was quite a famous one he's singing um, he was known as One Shot Crosby because he tended to sing things right the first time and that was the record 
this one he goes um, right at the end and obviously there was he thought he was then going to have to do something and they must have shortened it because there's only three minutes on a 78 or usually and he actually sings wrong words he sings Someone cut out eight bars, a dirty bastard. Mm. <laughs> you know, and the orcs are still playing. He's doing it. After. And they didn't tell me which eight bars they were going to cut. Why doesn't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nut. And then at that point, the one is going, da, 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 dee, dee, da. and they carry on right to the end. And somebody's laughing. You can hear in the background. And it, it's, it's a bit like this Elvis one, isn't they like that. They've got Elvis. Oh, you learn some tonight. He's doing something silly with it, isn't he? There's, there's a car falling in love, and there's an opera singer in the background, and she's going off on one, and he's oh. singing, and he starts laughing because the opera singer's off <laughs> on some some high harmony, but it's just going. It's not she's singing wrong, but it's completely yeah, yeah. inappropriate. Yeah, and it's I, just, and you, yeah, they're wonderful yeah. moments. Um, you, you, and, and I've got some goons singles. You know the goons wow. made. Right? You, you know the goons. What have the goons got in common with the Beatles? No idea. George Martin was their oh, recording oh, engineer. Cool. When... Um, I know John Altman pretty well. Oh, John, well, I know I, I John since know. we were teenagers. Of course you know John. I'm going to call John at some point to do this as well. Well, he's in China at the moment, so he'll have difficulty. Um, Skype, the wonders of Skype. Yes, that's true. Well, he... Um, what was I going to say? Yes, they um, they had the same, they had the same uh, um, recording engineer. When Brian Epstein taken the Beatles to all sorts of people they, they none of them wanted and George Martin was one of the last people they took and he wasn't even anything to do with music he was head of comedy and novelty recordings at EMI mm. and uh, he, he liked he heard something in them that nobody else had managed to hear so that's why the head of comedy recording became the Beatles recording engineer yeah, it's crazy so what's the name of your podcast it's called Earl Oaken's Gramophone Show. Great. So what I'll do is I'm going to link to the show notes. So thank you, Earl, very much. My pleasure. It was brilliant. Thank you. Name me some standards. He's tuning terribly. We think of Funny Valentine, I'm a fool to want you, Yet you're my favorite 
This is Marisha for Love Your Creativity.